Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we have been discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer. This week, we are going to discuss his section on well-timed times to pray. Now, as we were discussing just before we started recording here, you mentioned that you had some verses about this Kairos time that he uses. So I'm going to let you start with those and we'll discuss how he applies this in the book. Yes. And just to fill in the background, it's true that in the New Testament, there's the word Kronos which is typically time as it rolls on. Okay. Kairos, which is usually something to do with qualitative time. Okay. And those categories are generally correct, but the context determines meaning and usage isn't always identical. Okay. And so what I did, because this whole section of Dutch Sheets book is based on, there's a specific Kairos moment when you need to get a revelation from God about what Satan is intending to do and then pray to thwart it. Okay. I think that's what he says. But yes, not quite so directly, but that's what it boils down to. Yeah, well, here, let's talk about that. Okay. He asks questions. Yes. The questions, I, I noticed that when I, when I, put some notes in the margin of the book. Could it be that? Right. The question would be, how many things, could it be that many things happened to us because we didn't get uh, a revelation or we didn't get a word from God and we didn't see the Kairos moment? Could it be that if we got these things, we could thwart a lot of Satan's plans and so there's a series of questions. Yes. Then the questions set up stories where he and his buddies do get those things. Right. Get a good outcome. And then later comes back and says, well, if you have a bad outcome, we're not implying that it's your fault. But the, what this does is, because I know I lived in a group that did this for six years. Okay. We were a live-in community. So this is how we lived all day, every day. Yes. Getting revelations from God and trying to figure out what to do. Now, what it does is it creates instability. Okay. No matter how many questions and disclaimers, in the end, a lot of people think they probably failed. And the leaders of these groups portray themselves as the ones who do hear from God and do get the good outcome. And a lot of people figure, well, I better just listen to them because it's not going to work for me. Right. And we, you know, talking about using these questions, in some ways it reminds me of emergent. It's like they can ask a question with an implied answer, but then if you give them any pushback, they just say, well, we're just asking questions. Could it be? Well, questions have answers that are right or wrong. Well, that's exactly what emergent does. Could it be 
that we should be looking around and if we could just see what God's doing and join it, things would be getting better in our world or something like that. That would be emergent. Right. Continual questions with no direct answer in scripture creates doubts and confusion and instability. It doesn't really give us a sure word of prophecy that right. the Bible talks about that's clear. And we're not even quite sure what to believe and what to do. Yes. And some of these questions that he has in his book, they actually do have an answer right from Scripture. And it's not the one he's implying. And so, for example, in this section that we're going to deal with today, he says that, is it possible that much successful persecution against the church could be stopped or rendered unfruitful if we were alert and interceded against it? Well, implied in that question is a God that is not in control of persecution of his church. Yeah, as we've said many, many times, their uh, view is based on getting special revelations and us doing our part. And the biblical view is a providential worldview. Yes. And that's one that they don't have any time for. Right. We've shown that again and again. We can't trust God to get us to the right place at the right time and care for us and bring us to glory and use us as we um, preach the gospel and serve him by his grace because we need to get special revelations, which I'm not sure how you know what that is. Right. And okay. and it usually boils down to what you often call metaphysical impressions. Right. And when we were doing that, there were some people that were very um, clever. I don't know. They had dreams and cryptic messages. And then somebody else would say, well, I think this means this or whatever. And so we're fishing around for these things. And if it got bad, the top guy who led the group, his word from God always prevailed. Right. We'd come in, say, well, you're not hearing from God, and then he'd give it, and we'd have to do what he said. So when you base your Christian life, your theology, and your everyday living based on special revelations from God beyond Scripture, then the result is not the unity of the faith. It's not the preaching of the gospel. It's not assurance of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, and that God is caring for us as a parent who cares for children, it's confusion and instability. Yes. And so give all your caveats and your disclaimers, but in the end, I promise you, having spent six years in a group like that, that in the end, people with trouble assume they failed God. All right. So back to Kairos, two-part yes. question. How does scripture use this, and how does Dutch sheets apply it? Okay, Kairos is not used generally for a specific revelation about a specific thing for one individual at a specific time, as he's saying. What I did with Jessica and I discussed last night what we want to do with this section so I went into my logo software, and I looked up the word kairos, and I have side by side here the Greek and the English. Okay. And I just 
chose every single time Paul uses it. All right. Because he was citing something from Paul in Ephesians. Okay. Generally, it has to do with the age that we live in, the, the time of redemption. Okay. The last days, the church age. For example, in Romans 3.26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay. I want to tell those who are listening and watching where this ends up. In, in the Bible, the key issue is the gospel, redemption, forgiveness of sins, sanctification, and eternal life. Okay. In the New Apostolic Reformation, it's getting a good outcome in every situation. Right. Avoiding sickness or difficulties or bad things happening. When it, it comes to uh, forgiveness of sins, they don't even talk about it. If they do, I don't find it. Very, very rarely. Yeah, and there seems they seem to be lacking this view of God using these circumstances in our life to sanctify us. Well, that's right. And that's what the Bible does say. Right. And knowing this movement and having hosted pastors meeting of people in the movement, when I started going to scripture alone and pleading with these pastors to get back to scripture and teach the gospel, that's just how people think. Okay. They're, built in. We're always trying to find stories of how somebody got some special revelation and this good thing happened. But let's take this word kairos. Okay? Look at Romans 8.18. The word kairos is used. Paul said this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, kairos, are not wor worth comparing with the glory that is to be real to us. Okay. So take that idea, then we'll show how Dashish uses it. And it's talking about this age we're living in. Okay. Yes. In a fallen world, we have the gospel and we suffer. Right. The answer is not getting a special revelation about what Satan's going to do tomorrow and then and then thwarting that by taking some special action. Right. Okay, of uh, thwarting Satan and going and binding him or whatever it is. Here is talking in general. Yes, our, this present time, Kairos, is a time of sufferings. And so Paul looks at the eternal. It's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed at a different time, in a different age, after the Lord returns. Right. And so Paul was writing to the Romans who were suffering at the time, way more than what Christians are in most part of the world today. Right. There was uh, hostility to the gospel by Jews and Gentiles throughout the world at the mm -hmm. time when the apostles were preaching. So if you go forward through, I have every case here printed out. Here's one, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. I preached on this recently. Therefore, do not pr pronounce judgment before the time, kairos, 
Okay. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation for the Lord from the Lord. So there it says, don't judge who's got the greater miracle or ministry, who's more important in a church, because the time in that context is the Lord coming and rewarding his servants. Right. And so it's used in, in different ways, but generally about uh, within a view of the time we're living in, which is characterized by suffering. Yes. So that's qualitative time in that sense. And the future time when the Lord comes. Now there's a range of meaning. So he uh, is using that in Ephesians for getting one of these revelations that you need to thwart Satan's plan. Now, as we were talking beforehand, uh, I mentioned a couple of different verses. What's part, another part of what is missing of all this is the idea of God being in control of our suffering. And so one of the verses I had printed out here was Job 2.10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Right. And there are several other similar verses in Scripture. We need to understand that God allows suffering in our lives for our good and for his glory. Right. And you did well to interpret it that way because the context of the biblical writers telling you whether it's a good thing or not, what is said. Right. And later when God in a theophany appears after all the debate with his comforters and so on, he uh, said to them, you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Yes. And so he said, he, and Job said, I spoke too much. I need to put my hand over my mouth and listen to God. Okay. And so what we know about God is what's revealed in Scripture. Yes. These personal words from God that we supposedly need to get to thwart bad outcomes day by day in life are what? (laughs) Are they binding revelations that are inerrant and infallible? No. And most often it boils down to, I felt burdened to pray for someone. Well, that's fine. Yeah. And if you do good, pray for them. Yes. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that God told you something. Well, see, the problem is it takes away a belief that God will use us as we trust him and we do pray. I think of of things to add into a sermon in part of the applications. And I hear stories afterwards that that's just what somebody needed to hear. Yes. But if it's given in Scripture for our benefit, it's certainly what somebody needs to hear. Right. So I trust that if it is biblical and the applications are valid ones that are logically derived from the meaning of the Holy Spirit-inspired author wrote the Bible, God will use it. Yes. But in in some cases, it really strikes home. Or someone hears something, uh, uh, and wow, and God uses it to convert them. We see that happen Yeah. as we preach the gospel. So those things 
It's for us to be faithful. God takes care of the timing. Right. And that's quite different than what we're reading in this chapter. Right. So he says, do you want to, do you have that open where he, where he defines kairos? Okay. He says there are two Greek words for time, which is correct. One is chronos, which is time in general, the general time in which anything is done. The other word kairos is the strategic or right time, the opportune point of time at which something should be done. A window of opportunity would be Kairos time. A well-timed attack in war would be Kairos time. When someone is in danger or about to be attacked by Satan, that is a Kairos time. So okay. that's Dutch Sheet's definition. All right. That is um, comes from not actually understanding how language works and looking at the context and realizing there's an overlap and usages. And so what I have here is every time Paul uses the term Kairos, I printed out all of them. And I also have just here Ephesians, because that's part of that. So let's see how Paul uses it, because he's in Ephesians when he's okay. looking okay? yes. at spiritual warfare. Ephesians 1.10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, Things on our soul there in general, the fullness of time, Kairos. Okay. Messianic salvation, ultimate redemption in the end, as the promise of God. Ephesians 2:12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Okay. Before Christ. Yes. Lost. That's not this specific moment. Right. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Gentiles, before Christ came and brought this plan of redemption for Jews and Gentiles through crucified Jewish Messiah. Okay. Well, it's not one specific day now Satan's going to do this. Right. There's, there's no uh, well-timed attack implied in there. It's quite different than how he's using it. Well, that would be impossible for us to know because the the realm of the spirits isn't even seen by us yes now i'm just going to tell all of them here ephesians 5 16 making the best of the time because the days are evil so while we live in this evil wicked world but we're in the world but not of it we make the best of the time okay praying preaching the gospel, using our gifts to serve one another, believing God's promises, and standing firm against the attacks of Satan, which I preached on recently. I preached through Ephesians. Okay. So there, again, it's not one specific day now Satan's going to do this. Mm -hmm. It's an era of history we are in called the church age and how we live during our lives in this moment in history is based on our belief that God saves us, forgives us, puts us into the body of Christ, give us, gives us a calling. Okay. It's more general. Yes. But it's still crucial and important. All right. In the times. Ephesians 6.18. I believe this is the one that he's citing there. 
Yes. Okay, so I've cited the previous three uses of Kairos. Um, Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Okay. So isn't that what we do? Right. And his take on it was is uh when someone is in danger or about to be attacked by satan that is a kairos time okay well let me tell you when someone's in danger and about to be attacked by satan during the entire church age right that's why the previous material about the armor of god is about standing firm in the status we have that in Christ. Yes. Okay. We have the, the truth. We have grace. We have faith. And the sword of the spirit is the offensive weapon, which is the preaching of the gospel, whereby Satan's kingdom is plundered and people are plucked from the realm of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Christ and added uh, to that foundation as part of the church. Yes. And when we were talking about about a year or so ago, the gospel is the true armor of God. We did one episode on Ephesians 618 and discussed the importance of the paragraph break there as well, where prayer is not a piece of the armor. We stand firm in the armor. Therefore, we pray. The prayer is something that's part of our life as we have access to God who hears us and cares for us. And we pray for the church. We pray for our loved ones. We pray that we would stand firm. Yes. Go on. And some will say, well, there's, you shouldn't have a paragraph break there. The New American Standard has it that way. But let's, let me just read the next verse. So at all times was it's Kairos in the spirit. Now his version of what that means would be different. Yes. Okay, but let's go to verse 19. And, and on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he's praying for boldness. Right. Yeah, he's praying for boldness to preach the gospel, not to bind Satan. To keep some bad thing from happening. Right. And that idea that when threats are given against the disciples, they pray for boldness. You see that in Acts. Right. After some hostility. They said, grant thy bondservants boldness. Okay, in light of their threats. Yes. So the attack is about keeping the gospel from going forth as God's intended. Right. This is not about negative circumstances in our life. Yes. Okay, so before we run out of time here, let's look at his two questions that he asks on this page 96 and see if we can answer them based on the information we just presented. His first one is, is it possible that some who have fallen away from Christ would not have if someone had interceded for them? So that's his question. 
Yes. It's a rhetorical question. What's the implied answer? Well, the implied answer is yes, if somebody had interceded. And he's basing that on Jesus's words to Peter. Yeah, I pray for you that your faith will not fail when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Right. And there I think we see the the typical NAR confusion about the uniqueness of Christ. We aren't Jesus. Right. No one else, Peter himself didn't think he would ever deny the Lord. And in the context, Judas had run off. Yes. And there's no suggestion that, well, maybe Jesus didn't pray for Judas properly. <laughs> right. So Judas was the betrayer. That was the way it was going to be. Yes. It doesn't okay. get Judas off the hook. No. And and it doesn't make Jesus to blame for it either, because he prayed for Peter, but not for Judas. Well, we'll find out as we continue to address uh, this version of intercession and the NAR and, and these things. They have an entirely unbiblical worldview. Yes. Their view of God, of salvation, of the Christian life, of authority, of binding revelation, and so on, is man-centered. It detracts from the sovereignty of God. It has no place for the promises of God as given in Romans 8 and elsewhere. And it assumes that we have to do things right or there's going to be chaotic things happening and it's all it's probably our fault. Yes. And this is not going to build stability in the lives of any Christians. Okay. Having witnesses. This isn't new. This uh, before I even became a Christian, uh, which was in 1971, the new NAR. Uh, before they called themselves that, there was William Branham, whose teachings had caused problems, false prophets, false teachers, false claims, Jesus-only Pentecostalism. And the teachers I had in Bible college pointed out that all of that just creates instability. Right. You don't know what's going to happen. And you think you've got to get some revelation or go to a meeting where some great man of God is going to solve the problem. That's not what it's teaching. Okay. And so, dear ones, your safety, your security in Christ, your the outcome, which is conformity to the image of Christ, doesn't depend on you getting special revelations beyond Scripture. Okay. That's what we're saying. It doesn't depend on you getting a special revelation about what Satan's going to do at any moment. Right. We don't need to know what he's doing or what he's going to do. As mentioned in, in Ephesians 6, we need to stand firm in the gospel. Yeah, we pray to God and let him deal with what's going on in the heavenly, heavenly realm because we don't know exactly what it is anyhow. Yes, all right, we touched on this briefly earlier, but his second question is, is it possible that much successful persecution against the church could be stopped or rendered unfruitful if we were alert and interceded against it? Well, it's interesting. Paul had a different request. Okay. He knew 
that afflictions and bonds were there. Previously, when he was going to Jerusalem, they were uh, pleading with him not to go because he knew that he'd be attacked and persecuted there. Yes. But he went there anyhow because he knew that that's what he needed to do. Right. Jesus affirmed that that was the right thing in Acts 23.11. So he knew persecutions were coming. Okay. He didn't pray against them. He prayed, asked them to pray for him for boldness that he continued to preach despite the persecution. Yes. So even at that, they're not praying according to even the context of the passage they're citing. That is right. And when we come back next week, we're going to talk a little bit about praying according to the will of God. I think that's a good example of praying according to the will of God. Paul knew persecutions and sufferings were coming, so he prayed for boldness. Wow, you bet. (laughs) All right. Exactly what the Bible teaches us. Okay. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob, your way. We'll see you next week.